why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. Thank you, Brittany. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray now you would take these words from your scripture, which are true, which are good, which are for the faith and the faithfulness of your people. We pray you would take them, you would cause us to hear them and receive them and see you and want to be like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to see you all. If you have not, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Titus. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Titus. So, um, you know, if you got one of those little divider things, drop it in there. We're going to be there for a bit. Um, <clears throat> last week, we, we saw that Titus is a letter written from a man named Paul to a man named Titus with one goal, that churches be faithful to Jesus. So the words of this letter are to empower and to position and to posture churches for gospel faithfulness to Jesus. That's why it is there. And there's an interesting turn kind of here right at the beginning. Word one, appoint godly pastoral leaders in each church. Appoint godly pastoral leaders in each church. So the driving thrust of our passage today is that pastoral leadership is a gift from God for the good and the protection of the local church. Pastoral leadership is a gift from God for the good and the protection of the local church. And you might say, well, okay, cool. Next, no, no, we really need to, to camp out in this for a few minutes. Churches need Christ-like leaders to say, let's follow Jesus together, to say, this is the way of faithfulness, let's walk in it. <clears throat> So my goal today is to convince you that pastoral leadership, if faithful, is a gift and a protection for us, and to convince us that godliness precedes leadership. Maturity in the faith necessarily precedes leadership roles within the church. So let's look at those together as we look at the passage. So if you want to take notes, leadership needed. Leadership needed. Pastoral leadership is a necessity for healthy, healthy local churches. Okay, why do you say that? Let's look at the passage. Look at verse 5. 
This is why I left you in Crete. So Paul is saying he left Titus on the island of Crete, about 3,000 square miles, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what's here is Paul says, these churches, they need two things. They need you to put in order the things that are undone. To the best of my digging and studying and digging and studying, we don't know this list, okay? We don't know what was left undone except for one. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul's saying, Titus, here's what the churches need. They need you to put the things in order and appoint elders in every town. Elders being a biblical word for pastoral shepherding oversight and leadership within the local church. Now, he says, appoint elders in every town. There's a lot there that I think is important. Crete, again, an island of over 3,000 square miles. There are multiple towns there. The assumption is there are churches in each place. And Paul says, appoint elders, plural, on purpose in each place. So the idea is there would be multiple or plurality or a team of pastoral leaders in each town. Acts chapter 14 verse 23 goes even further as it tells us that the method of Paul was to appoint elders plural in each church. So Paul is saying right out of the gate, these churches need you to leave godly, faithful, pastoral leaders there. It's an important, dare I say, necessary part of their future faithfulness. So we could say in the economy of God, he has built a church that belongs to Jesus and has local expressions. And each local expression has pastoral leaders who give pastoral leadership to those churches. Okay, well, what work do these elders do? The passage also helps us with that. Verse 7. Speaking of the same group of people, Paul uses a different word, overseer. Do you know what overseers do? They oversee, okay? They oversee. So so these elders give an element of oversight to the life and the affairs of the church. Additionally, for an overseer, as God's steward, Steward means to care for something that doesn't belong to you as if it belonged to you. So what we're told are these elders care for God's church and God has left them as stewards to care for the people and the teaching and the direction and the ministry of the church. So there's an overseeing element There's a stewardship of caring for God's people and God's church. Verse 9 tells us more. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So these elders so know and so cling to God's word and God's gospel and the message about Jesus that they give wise, biblical, faithful instruction to the church. So elders teach God's truth to God's people and ensure that God's truth is taught faithfully to God's people. So there's an oversight, there's a stewardship, there's an instruction, and there's a protection. The other part, the last half of verse nine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The Elders defend God's truth against those who threaten God's truth and or threaten God's people. So the work of these elders is a pastoral, shepherding, teaching, equipping, overseeing type role within the church. And what this passage says is churches need faithful pastoral leaders. I hope you'll at least grant me that that's the assumed argument that Paul is working from here in these verses. So before we get into what these elders might look like personally, there's some application for us to consider. Number one, pastoral leadership is an essential for the local church. Pastoral leadership is an essential for the local church. This is a place where we need to step back, acknowledge God's model, God's plan, God's um, blueprints for his church, and just say that pastoral leadership is a wisdom because God has put it in place. We will recognize it as such. Second, well-documented misappropriations of Christian leadership do not, do not undermine this principle. I want to say that one more time. Well-documented misappropriations of Christian leadership do not undermine this principle. You might be like, okay, help me out here. There are at least three long-form podcasts going right now detailing in great factual detail, the failings of local churches and local church pastors in abuse and in arrogance and in all types of things. Those are horrible realities which we must condemn, but horrible realities don't undermine the plan of God. Horrible realities say, let's be faithful to what God desires. And the spirit of the age right now is leadership is bad because leadership might be abusive. And our response should be leadership within the church is God's idea. Now be faithful. Be biblical, be humble, be repentant, be obedient. Misapplications don't undo the intent.
So if pastoral leadership is essential for the local church and these well-documented misappropriations only elevate the need for biblical leadership, how might we as Christians within a congregation posture ourselves toward leadership? I want to give you four words. Pray, encourage, follow, serve. Pray, encourage, follow, serve. If leadership is the Lord's idea, then my first posture is to pray to the Lord for the faithfulness and the Christ-likeness of the leaders that God has sovereignly placed in the church where I am a member and where I attend. For many of you, that's Redeemer. For others of you, that might be somewhere else if you're visiting with us today. But we pray. Second, we encourage This doesn't mean empty platitudes. This means to, where appropriate, give encouragement and give appreciation and give thanksgiving to those who are laboring and sacrificing to give pastoral leadership in our congregation. Third, follow. As much as our elders are biblical, then follow their leadership. One of the things that warms my heart the most is when one of you sits down with me and says, you know, I don't think I would have made that decision. But you, you haven't been unbiblical, and so I'm going to support you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to help you. as much as we can, follow the leaders that the Lord has placed before us. Fourth, serve. Here's the thing. When we talk about leaders, often we shift to, oh, the leaders, they're the ones that that do all the hard stuff. They're the ones that are supposed to be busy. That is not what the Bible says at all. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Here's what it says. It says, we're all called to the work of building up the body of Christ. We're all called to the work of ministry, and we posture ourselves toward our leaders where we will join them in the work of ministry. We will take up the mantle of living as the body of Christ. So what the passage says is our leadership is needed. The godly pastoral leadership within a congregation is necessary for the posture of healthiness and faithfulness of a congregation. So I would just ask you to pray and to encourage and to follow and to serve along along our pastoral leaders, our elders, as much as you are able. If you want to take this seriously, you can go to our website. You can click leadership. You'll see a list of our elders. You'll see a list of, you can click on staff. You'll see a list of our staff, um, several of whom serve in pastoral roles among us. 
but let's just cling to the conviction that pastoral leadership, elder leadership is an essential for the local church. So much so that we'll encourage it and fan it and do our best to celebrate it. But all of that pushes for Titus, who's called to find and appoint these elders, who should be an elder, which pushes to the second point, if you want to take notes this morning, leadership basics, leadership basics. Christian maturity is the basic foundation of Christian leadership. We cannot point people on a path that we are not actively walking. Christian maturity is the basic foundation of Christian leadership. Here's what, I, here's what I'm saying and what I think Paul's saying. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how magnanimous your personality is. It doesn't matter what benefits you bring to the church on a physical, tangible level. Leadership begins with godliness. And the absence of godliness is disqualifying. And we cannot make peace with trying to live in the middle. So what do these leaders look like? This is found in verse 6, 7, and 8. First, the passage shows and teaches that these leaders are faithful, Christ-like males. These leaders are faithful, Christ-like males. The language of the New Testament is that God has ordained and orchestrated that leadership in his church, the spiritual leadership of eldering and pastoring be carried out by faithful Christ-like males. One example of many that I could give you. Verse six, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, that, that's pretty clear, but there's a footnote. Most of your Bibles probably have a little, little footnote. There's a footnote that actually makes it clearer because in the Greek it says a man of one woman, a man of one woman. So it makes it even clearer. Um, there is this sense that these elders will be faithful, godly, Christ-like males. Now, that might spark a whole other conversation that I'd be happy to have with you out under the breezeway where it's way cooler than it is in here. Austin was not lying. I had my feet in cold water when he was saying that earlier, and I was kind of like, ah, but it's okay. We can talk more about this. I would enjoy the conversation. But it's important that we state what is there. So, so second, the passage calls these leaders to be, in the ESV, above reproach. Above reproach. Anybody use that language in your day-to-day -day life? Anybody said, hey, kids, that's reproachable behavior this week? 
I could have, but I didn't use that word, and probably neither did you. It's actually there twice. Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. And then verse 7, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, above reproach doesn't mean without error. It doesn't mean having never stumbled. If so, there are no leaders. We're done. End the conversation. Let's go home. But what it does mean is one who is of such character that accusations don't stand against him. One of such character that accusations don't stand against him. And so I would just point out by way of tangible application, the fastest way for a sinner to be above reproach is to learn to quickly repent and turn away from sin and plead for mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation, both from God and from those who have been offended. So this passage calls on leaders whose lives have been met with the gospel and shaped by the gospel in such a way that there, are, there is real, tangible fruitfulness, real, tangible faithfulness, real, tangible. I can see that Christ has done something in your life. Above reproach. And then the passage is going to say, Above reproach in two particular areas, family relations and personal discipleship. Above reproach in two particular areas, family relations and personal discipleship. So, so first, family relations, verse six. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So this is saying that, that an elder is one who is faithful, continually faithful in the marital relationship as God created it between one husband and one wife. And his children are faithfully shaped by his teaching and his leading. Um, the ESV says believers. Many English translations say faithful. Um, I think we have to interpret this word in such a way that the father of an infant who's not old enough to believe is still able to give leadership within the church. But what is laid out here is his children are shaped by the faith and his children are obedient to the calling to glorify God with our lives, not open to charges of debauchery or insubordination, meaning he demands that his children respect and honor leadership within the home. So an elder is one who is um, mature, Christ-like, faithful, and above reproach in 
family relations. Additionally, an elder, so we could say an elder is one who leads his family well. Additionally, an elder is one who is above reproach in personal discipleship. So we could say he leads himself well. And the way that Paul lays this out is he gives defining above reproach in personal discipleship. He gives five disqualifying characteristics and six commendable characteristics. Five disqualifying characteristics, six commendable characteristics. And yes, I do know what time it is, okay? But it doesn't say preaching too long is a disqualifying characteristic. I, I, I just want to point that out. Um, verse 7, he must not be, and then we get this list, arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain. Okay? So arrogant, self or an inflated view of self that seeks to celebrate and honor self above others continuously. Can a person who is self-inflated and continually trying to lift high and honor self simultaneously exalt the Lord in all things and continuously lift him high? Quick-tempered means quick to become angry, quick to take difficulty, disagreement, complaints, and areas of just not being content and move to anger and outburst, not quick-tempered. Third, not a drunkard, which means not one who is habitually and continually drunk with wine or alcohol. One cannot be controlled by drink and controlled by the Lord simultaneously. Now, I really want to go about 30 minutes down that path, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds instead. There was a time where the message from the church about drunkenness needed to be, hey, all alcohol isn't sin. That's true. All alcohol isn't sin. But I'm looking out. I get to know the down dirty of your lives. And it's just really important that we also know that drunkenness is sin. The Bible says don't become drunk with wine. Be careful. That's all. Be careful. We need a word of caution. And if that makes me feel like an old, sweaty fundamentalist to you, I'll own that. I just say that because I love you. Be careful. Fourth, not violent. Not violent. Violent means moving to physical aggression. Not one who moves to physical aggression continually. Fifth, not greedy for gain. Not one who is always out to get as much as he can out of the situation. All five of these things, arrogant, 
quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy for gain, they all cut against the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the gospel in the life of a Christian. And if these things continually characterize who we are, Paul says these things are disqualifying. I gotta say one more thing. These things, arrogant, quick-tippered, drunken, violent, greedy for gain, that's who we would all be if it were not for Jesus. So really what Paul's saying is not like, you gotta be a goody two-shoes to be a church leader. What he's saying is, you have to know Christ and be transformed by Christ to be a leader in the church. That's what he's saying. Because Jesus should have taken your arrogance and humbled you. He should have taken your quick-temperedness and softened you. He should, he should have taken your drunkenness and satisfied your soul and himself. He should have taken your violence and brought to you peace. He should have taken your greed and says, I provide for you. Be content in me. This is the work of the gospel. And if you've never experienced that work of the gospel, I want you to believe today that that's how Christ works. And he's eager to work in you in this way. Finally, he offers six commendable characteristics. This is in verse so there's the disqualifiers, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hospitable means to be open and welcoming of others in your physical space and in your emotional space for the purpose of walking together toward Jesus. Hospitable is a posture of the church wrought by the Spirit of God. Second, lover of good means to know what is good and commendable and right in the sight of the Lord and not only pursue it, but love it and celebrate it and invite others into it. Third, self-controlled, able to control oneself, able to control your being. Upright, holy, and disciplined. Upright, holy, and disciplined. These seem to be synonymous with self-control. Upright in the way we relate to others. Holy in the way we stand before the Lord. Disciplined in the way we lead ourselves. What Paul is laying out is something very simple. Leaders know Christ, have been indwelt by the Spirit, and have been changed by Christ. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is Christian maturity or Christian discipleship is the baseline for leadership in the church of Jesus. If it's not there, look for another leader, period. 
so I have three implications for us. Number one, discipleship or maturity precedes leadership. Number two, what's laid out in these five verses of the Bible is the picture, is a picture of what mature Christian living looks like. This vision isn't just for leaders. It's for all the children of God. So if you're wrestling with the what does God want from me question, be above reproach in your family interactions. Be above reproach in your personal discipleship. Turn away from arrogance, quick-temperedness, drunkenness, violence, greed. Take up hospitality, love of good, self-control, upright, holy, disciplined, living. God would aspire for that from all of us. Third, young guys who aspire to leadership in the church, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for that aspiration. But don't start with public speaking and don't start with hermeneutics and don't start with skills. Start with knowing God. Start with walking with the Lord. Now, if hermeneutics can help you walk with the Lord, then dive into hermeneutics. But I'm just saying, like, I, I, we get so many guys that are like, I want to be a pastor. I want to go to seminary. I want to be in ministry. What do I need to do? Man, go quietly walk with Jesus and love your family and love others and bear fruit and the Lord will equip you. The Lord will knock down doors for you. The church is, well, maybe this church, but at large, the church is not absent, winsome communicators. The church is not absent, type A driven leadership gurus. The church is not absent strategy. What is starving in the world and what the church is dying for is true godliness. True people ravaged by Jesus and Jesus is working in them. People who love God and love others and serve in ways that they never ever would have before because Christ is real and the spirit is real and God bears fruit in his people. That's what, that's what the church needs. And then surely if there's a hundred people that love Jesus, one of them can stand up and talk. Surely if there's a hundred people that love Jesus, one of them can say, this would be a good strategy to get more people to know Jesus. But what's missing is people ravaged by the gospel. Take up these things and go, this is what God wants from me. I'm saying, not my notes. They don't mean anything. Take up the Bible and go, 
this is what God wants from me. I'm gonna pray to that end. This is what God wants from leaders. So I'm gonna pray that God would fill Redeemer Church with so many men who look like this, that we have too many. What an answer to prayer that would be. And I think what a kingdom impact we would make. That's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm longing for. And if you're here today going, man, I have no idea what he's talking about. What's it mean to be a Christian? I can't do any of that. I just want you to hear this. We all once were arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy people that Jesus died for. His blood covered our sin. He sent his spirit to transform who we are. It's the work of Jesus that is the testimony of power here. And he would work in you too. So if you want to consider this Christ who's eager to take away all the wrongs, cover them with his own death and forgive and accept and welcome and make new and give life, then I commend Jesus to you. Come talk to me after this service. Right through those doors to the left is a table, resources that would help you know this Christ. Near that table is a staff member or an elder who would help you know this Christ. But consider Christ. Consider his work. Consider his power. Now, our Father and our God, we pray that you would work in our lives. You would work in our church. You would work in our hearts for the glory of your name. Make us people of Jesus. Make us people filled with the Spirit. Make us people who are above reproach because you are at work in our lives. And Lord, help us commend the power of Jesus to our families and our friends, and our schools, and our neighbors, and our fellow co-workers, and everywhere we are. We pray in Jesus' name.